Welcome today to Cuyahoga Valley Church. It's so great to see all of you. Welcome to our online viewers right now. Uh, whatever city, state, or country you are watching from, we're glad that you are with us as well. And uh, this is our teaching time, and we're going we're gonna to dive right in. Um, I was thinking back on my life and my spiritual journey a little bit in the last few days, and I've, I have been in that place, I'm sure some of you have been in that place too, where I remember my guilt and shame and remember what it felt like to be in that broken state, my broken relationship with God and how nothing seemed to fix the emptiness of my heart and the emptiness of my soul. And I remember the experience of the unmatchable joy that came flooding into my life when I gave my life to Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I remember that. I also remember being hurt by others, and feeling the slavery that shackled my heart and unforgiveness. And I have forgiven and felt complete liberation of my heart as it was set free from the bondage of bitterness. The first of what I shared was my experience as a recipient of the radical love of God and as his love worked into my life. The second I shared was being one who could give what God had given me and experiencing what it felt like to have God work through my life. How have you been experiencing God working in your life? How have you been experiencing God working through your life? I was reading about a man this week, a Christian brother named Dr. John Perkins. He also exhibits what happens in the life of a person who experiences God's radical love working in him and through him. John Perkins was born in Mississippi in poverty, the son of a sharecropper. He fled to California when he was 17 after his older brother was murdered by a town marshal. Although Dr. Perkins vowed never to return, in 1960, after he gave his life to Christ, he returned to his boyhood home to share the gospel of Jesus with those who were still living there. And his leadership and his role in the civil rights movement resulted in repeated harassment and imprisonment and beatings. And one night, 1970, in Mississippi, John was the target of a small group of white racist police officers who spent the entire evening beating him. This was unprovoked and nothing but sheer violent racism. Unfortunately, it's a racism that we're reminded still exists in pockets today. John was left mutilated, unconscious, but the love of Christ was at work in him. He says, I remember their faces so twisted with hate. For the first time, I saw what hate had done to these people. These men were poor. They saw themselves as failures. The only way they knew how to find a sense of worth was by beating us. The racism made them feel like somebody. When I saw that, I just couldn't hate back. I could only pity them. I said to God that night, God, if you will get me out of this jail alive, I really want to preach a gospel that will heal these people too. And John's recovery took time, both emotionally and physically, but he healed. And he wrote this. He said, now that God has enabled me to forgive the many whites who have wronged me, I find myself able to truly love them. I wanted to return good for evil. John is 85 now. He lives in Jackson, Mississippi, and has spent decades doing successful ministry as he promised to the Lord that night. What could possibly lead a man who is a victim of such vicious, racist violence 
to feel love and compassion for those people who were hurting him. Only the radical love of a God. Only the radical love of God could do that to the human heart. What John experienced was the supernatural nature of God's love for him and God's love through him. He was a recipient of and a giver of God's radical love. So again, how has God's love been working in you? How has God's love been working through you? As you come to faith in Christ, you receive new life in Christ. And that means you receive a new ability to love others through Christ. So what does this love look like? What does this new supernatural, Holy Spirit-driven, grace-filled love look like? What's it capable of? Well, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 with me. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at a section of verses that demonstrate and explain and model what this radical love of God looks like when it works in us and works through us. And we've been going through the series, right, with God through the book of Romans. And we find ourselves in this incredible portion of Scripture learning more about what it looks like for those who love God and are loved by God. And so I invite you to join Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 9. We're going to go through verse 21. Here's what we find. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and show, uh, seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, there's just a few simple, easy to apply instructions. I hope you guys take those to heart. Have a great week. Like, what on earth? Like, you, you look at this list, and as they come, wave after wave after wave, you go, Lord, is it even possible to do a couple of these? Because when you start to read these, and you start to really understand the depth of what's being asked of us in Christ, you go, it's beyond me. And God goes, exactly. It's way beyond you. But it's not beyond me. That's why I put my love into you, so this is possible. This list that we just read, no matter how daunting any of those might have felt when you saw them, all are possible through the love of Christ. If you are in Christ and you have believed in Christ and who he is as God in the flesh, and you believe that he died on the cross and rose from the grave for forgiveness of sins, and you've crossed that threshold of faith, all these that we just read are yours. They're yours through the love of Christ made available through the radical love of our God. 
And we see the effects that this love has, this radical love. And it has this effect as it works through us. And as I looked at this passage all week, I'm like, there's 17 things here. Like, am I really going to have a 17-point sermon? It's going to be like mutiny in the church, you know? Lock it down, everybody. We're in here for three hours, you know? But I couldn't get away from each and every one. I couldn't get away from each and every one. So guess what? (laughs) Buckle up. We're going to go through all 17. You with me? You with me? All right. And here's what I'm going to ask of you. As we go through these, I'm going to hit them briefly. I'm going to ask you to be in a a state of prayer. I'm asking you to come into this moment saying, God, please do two things in my spirit right now. Would you affirm which of these you've already grown me in? Because you know what? Some of you are in Christ. God has already taught you how to do these things beyond what you were ever able to do before. And you need to say, thank you, God, that I've actually learned how to do that better. But also... Ask God to sift your heart and say, God, whatever one I'm still struggling with, whichever one I need to grow in, Lord, would you pronounce that to me in my spirit and give me the desire to grow? So as we go through all of these briefly, be in a state of prayer, asking God to do that in your life. Here's what we're going to learn about Christ's radical love. First, we learn that Christ's radical love helps us to have a genuine love. Verse 9 says, let love be genuine. The love of those who know Christ should be vastly different than the love of those who don't know Christ, right? should be different, our contrast. It's because our love should be genuine. The word for love here in the original Greek, and some of you already know, is the word agape. This is agape. It says, let love be genuine. Some translations will say, let love be without hypocrisy. Let your agape be genuine, which means you can't fake it. You can't counterfeit it. The thing about agape love is this. Agape love is directed at an object that does not deserve the love. If you are a recipient of an agape love, you have done nothing to earn it, to deserve it. Agape love is the ability to love the unlovely and to love the undeserving. This is the love that God loves us with. Amen? Because we are unlovely. Our sinfulness, in the eyes of a holy, perfect God, unlovely unlovable and undeserving. But that's why God came, and that's why Jesus died, and that's why Jesus rose, so that God could pour out his agape love upon us. And then he puts his agape love into us. and says, now I want you to give agape to others. What do you mean? Like I'm supposed to love people that don't deserve it? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, that's easy. I mean, God, you give me the capacity to love those who are unlovable? Yes. This is the love of the gospel. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's a self-giving love. For God so loved the world. The word there, agape, agapao. He so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's agape love. And God says, I put this love in you. I love this. This is the love I'm working in you. And now I want it to work through you. Give it to others. And let it be genuine, authentic, Like, we need to be people that when we say we love you, we actually mean it. I don't know about you, but that's one of my pet peeves when someone's like, hey, I love you. Like, dude, you don't even know me, you know? (laughs) Say you love me. Like, I appreciate the sentiment, you know? I get that. But like, when we look at each other and say, you know what? I love you. There needs to be a look to say, I have no doubt that what you're saying is authentic and genuine and true. 
And when you look at someone who doesn't know Jesus, or when you look at a fellow brother or sister in Christ and say, I love you, it's got to be genuine. This is genuine love. Hypocrisy and agape can't coexist. Our love or agape needs to be genuine. Secondly, Christ's radical love helps us to hate evil and cling to good. Look at verse 9. It says, abhor, that means to hate. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Genuine love, radical love is not blind. It clearly sees right and wrong. It clearly sees good and evil. God's love discriminates against evil. Not so much evil people, but evil actions. We live in a world with evil, do we not? We do. It's a fallen world. It's a broken world. It's a world that God's going to restore one day. But until then, we need to let this radical love of God working in us and working through us help us to hate evil and hold fast to that which is good. God's love rejects evil. God's love loathes evil and hold fast to that which is good. We've got evil in our headlines. We've got evil attacking our loved ones. And we have evil waking up within our own hearts every day waiting for us. Is it not true that all of us have a particular sin that just lurks and waits for us when we wake up? And then we battle it all day. And we battle it all night. You know what that is? It's evil. That's why you hate that sin. And that's why we're called to hate that sin. Because it works against what God wants to do in our life. Instead, we have to learn to cling to that which is good. I hope evil disturbs you. Man, I never want to be desensitized. I never want to be one of the people that God's word says their hearts were so callous they can't discern which is good and which is bad, which is evil and which is not. We live in that world. I mean, look, the, 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 um, the list that came out, when we look at the Ashley Madison list, millions of people intentionally pursuing adultery, you know what that is? It's evil. It's evil. When we look at the Planned Parenthood videos and see the attitude of those people who are taking innocent, precious life of babies and are so cavalier about it. You know what that is? It's evil. It's evil. And God's love hates evil. It loves people, but it hates evil. And so we need to learn to cling to that which is good. Some of you are going, man, I'm just really struggling with like sins in my life. You know what? This is like the quick fix. Like rest of the day, hate evil, cling to good. You'll win. You can conquer in Christ by just simply applying this. And here's the truth of the matter. The only way we're going to cling to what is good is to cling to who is good. Good luck trying to dodge sin when you're distant from God. Come on, we've all seen National Geographic, right? We've all seen the hyenas and the cheetahs and the lions and the pack of whatever the little elks running through. What do they do? I'm going to peel one off, and then it's dinner time. And if you peel off from walking with God, you peel off from walking among God's people and being in community, you're toast. You can't cling to the good when you're far from it. To hate evil, you've got to cling to what's good. And to cling to what's good, you've got to cling to who is good. This is God's love working in us and God's love working through us. Christ's radical love also helps us to love with brotherly affection. Verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. There's that word love again, but this time it's not agape. It's Philadelphia. 
It's the word phileo. It's a, it's a fond love. It's a cherishing. It's one that gives itself to affection. It's one that you find among family when they feel close to one another. It's a love that means to cherish and have a fondness for, to be loyal to, to be affectionate with. This is the love that people who don't know Christ sense and see and experience when we gather. And it's so cool when people walk into this church or walk into maybe your life group or another time where you're hanging out with some other brothers and sisters of Christ. I'm like, man, what's with these people? They actually like each other. Like they actually like they're hugging and they're happy. Like what's the deal? What's in the water? You know, what are they, what are they picking up on? Philadelphia, <laughs> brotherly love, affection. Because we mutually have come to Christ. This is why life groups and being in community is so, so valuable. Because in that context, you create an environment where you learn to be safe and you can be vulnerable and you can be imperfect. And what happens is you learn to, to draw close to each other and learn how to care for one another and, and you're within proximity of one another and your needs are being known and those are in proximity of one another and you're drawn into care for one another. I love when I get together with my life group and just feel like, man, as we get to talk and get into each other's lives, it's like Philadelphia is all over the place, you know? Brotherly love, affection. Are you loving your fellow Christian with a brotherly affection, with a flay of love? When people hear you talk about your brothers and sisters in Christ, when people see you with your brothers and sisters in Christ, do they see something that's so otherworldly that they go, man, I'd love to be part of that community. That's a caring community I want in. Or is it blocked by gossip and slander and hostility of some sort? And God has given us this ability to love with a brotherly love. That's his love working in us. That's his love working through us. Christ's radical love also helps us to outdo each other in showing honor. Pretty much face value here, verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. This means to honor someone above yourself. This means to give value and respect that builds up. Our sin nature wants honor. Our sin nature wants the accolades for itself. Our sin nature wants other people to feed our egos. God's love, contrary to that. Can I let other people go in front of me? Can I let other people have the good seat? Can I let other people have the promotion at work? Can I let other people um, get the accolades? How can I let other people be honored? I don't need to be honored. How can I help other people be honored? I, I want to try to outdo. I want to try to outdo my friends, my family, my Christian brothers and sisters in honor. I don't need to be first. I want them to be first. And I'd just be ridiculous at a buffet food line. You go. No, you go. No, you go. No, really, you go. I'd love for you to go. No, you go. Fine. Some person behind you goes, I'll go. <laughs> Bunch of Christians. You're Christians, aren't you? Well, how'd you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to outdo one another in honor. This is the new love that God puts in us. and It doesn't support our self-inflated interest. It leads us to lift up and encourage and respect and honor others. That's God's love in us. God's love through us. Christ's radical love helps us to serve the Lord with zeal. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. A radical love will raise us out of laziness and demotivation and give you zeal. New life in Christ energizes you. New life in Christ gives you enthusiasm and joy to serve your king. I don't find any accident here as the Apostle Paul is moving through this passage. We just got done talking last week about the spiritual gifts God's given us. If you weren't here, you weren't watching online, go back, listen, watch. God's given us spiritual gifts to use to serve God. Some of you from even last week are like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to find my spiritual gift. I don't, I don't know if I really want to serve, you know, been there, done that. You know what that is? Lacking zeal. But new life in Christ draws us in with enthusiasm and joy. This is 
appropriate placement here that we need to use our gifts. And look, fatigue is understandable. Rest, taking small breaks is part of our regular rhythm of being healthy. We get that. That's not what's being addressed here. This is slothfulness. This is apathy. This is the internal, I'm not going to do it. And you can't make me. I don't want to. I'm not motivated. And when God's love starts to work in you and God's love wants to work through you, you're going to find yourself not wanting to be slothful, but you're going to serve the Lord with zeal, with fervency. That's God's love in you. That's God's love through you. Christ's radical love helps us to rejoice in hope. That's what verse 12 says. Look, life's full of hardships. Sometimes it feels like we can be a rock sitting on the shore being pounded by the surf, man, right? All the stuff that comes. Some of you are like, I'll get three, four, five things one week against me. You know, a lot of you are in dealing with hardship. What happens is like a, like a light bulb slowly dimming, hope just starts to fade. But God's love in us and God's love through us counters this. Christ's radical love helps us endure and navigate the difficulties of life because we know and believe that God has so much more in store for us. Don't you know that God has so much more in store for you than what you're experiencing now? Do you know that? I hope you know that. Whatever physical ailments, whatever emotional trauma, whatever relational turbulence, whatever you're going through that's hard right now, God has something in store for you that's going to put that to rest, that's going to make that pale. Because Christ is coming. And God's kingdom is one day closer as of today. And we can rejoice in the hope of that day coming. Whether we beat it to the punch or whether it comes and finds us ready and eager and willing and anticipating. That day's coming. We can rejoice in hope because of who our God is and what he has. Restoration is imminent. We can be joyful, not fearful. We can be hopeful, not discouraged because God's put his love in us and he's working his love through us. Christ's radical love helps us to be patient in tribulation. That's what verse 12 also says. Suffering is real. Suffering on some level, physical, emotional, relational, it's just part of our life. We've talked about this so many times. We can't just say, God, protect me from suffering. I'm not supposed to suffer because we know that suffering oftentimes is the litmus test of what we really believe and of who we really believe in and what we really trust and who we're really putting our trust in. God's radical love in us and through us help us to be patient during tribulation, during hardship, during suffering. And although we can be in pain physically, Although we can be in pain emotionally, relationally, we trust God. We know that he's in control. We know that he's sovereign. We know that his love is not based on circumstance. He's not sleeping. He's not distracted. He has a will, and he's working out his will. Do you believe that God is sovereign, that he's in charge of all things, that he's in charge of your pain just as much as your joy? And he's got a purpose for your pain just as much as he does your joy. I was talking to a guy after the last service. I asked him which one he was going to focus on this week, and he said, patience and tribulation. I said, where's that going to take place? He goes, in my home. <laughs> Some of you aren't laughing because that's you too. Some of the biggest tribulations within the four walls of your own house. But if Christ's love is in you, and Christ's love is working through you, you'll endure, and you'll be patient, and you'll see God's faithfulness. And whatever that suffering is, 
God's radical love also helps us to pray constantly. Verse 12, he says, be constant in prayer. If you look at this one and the ones before it, there's an echo from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't we know that prayer, faithful prayer, is the trademark of being a follower of Christ? Like prayer is so part of who we are in Christ. Prayer is our lifeline. Prayer is our God connect. Prayer is our crying out to the Lord. Prayer is our proclamation of dependence on God. Prayer converts worry to trust. A lot of times you can tell how someone is praying because when you talk to them, they're so worried. They think, you're not praying much, are you? not resting in who God is and his sovereignty. If God's love's in us and God's love's working through us, our prayer life, this new love in Christ, this new love through Christ increases our prayer. We get a whole new prayer life. We learn how to pray. We desire to pray. And our prayers, like, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, doesn't cut it anymore. God, bless me, God, bless me, God, bless me, doesn't cut it. God, here's my wish list. Can you make this come into reality, please? Isn't going to be satisfactory. And as the love of Christ is working in you and through you, you find yourself starting to pray for other people around the world and, and, and other people and friends and places in the workplace, and you start, to, you start to confess sin in prayer. Think about that. You start to praise God for who he is, and you just, it starts to open up. When God hears us pray, it doesn't just sound like me, 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 me. Man, that's new life in Christ. That's a new prayer life in Christ. That's God's love working in us and through us. Christ's radical love helps us to contribute to the needs of believers. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. This love of Christ in us will most definitely produce a tangible expression of true care through us for fellow believers. This is that genuine love and that brotherly love coming out mentioned earlier. It's taking care of tangible needs. It's, it's the one another's. The church learns how to take care of its members, its other limbs. We had a, a guy in our life group recently that had a leg infection. He was in the hospital. You know, I went, just showed up to hang out with him and pray for him and his wife. I didn't show up as the pastor. I showed up as Chad the Christian, wanting to just hang out with the guy in my life group who had needs. Our life group put meals together for him. There was another guy in there in the hospital. Never met the guy before. He's a Christian that works with this guy. Did that feel awkward? No, we got to hang out. Man, praise the Lord together. We got to pray together over this guy. It was the body of Christ just meeting tangible needs. If the love of God is in you, it's going to want to work through you. And part of working through you is you're going to see your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to see needs and you're going to want to see how you can meet those needs. That's why we keep pushing into life groups. You got to be in community because you can't do that by yourself. There's no way a handful of, uh, you know, uh, Pastors are going to be able to care for a body our whole size. We've got to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We've got to learn how to care for one another to provide for the needs of the saints. What emotional, mental, physical, spiritual needs do we have of each other that God has positioned us to be together to bless each other with? That's going to come out when Christ's love is in you. Christ's love works through you. Christ's radical love also helps us show hospitality. Verse 13 says, and seek to show hospitality. I want to talk about this for a second because hospitality is not simply having friends over. Hospitality is not merely entertaining others that we've invited into our home. Hospitality, true hospitality, extends to the stranger. When's the last time you had a stranger in your home? And I'm not talking about the guy that came to set up your TV service. 
someone that you just knew God brought into your circle to bless, to love on, to encourage, to somehow minister to. See, we get hospitality and entertaining mixed up a little bit. Hospitality is really based on being available and accessible and to show love and care. Entertaining focuses on the house. It focuses on the host. Hospitality focuses on your guest. What do they need? See, entertaining says, I need to have a clean house. I need to have all these snazzy options for people when they come over. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to pursue to the next level of hospitality, hospitality can happen in a messy house over a glass of water. Because you're flexible, you're available, you've got a listening ear, you've got a caring heart, you've got the love of Christ in you, trying to work through you to bless who's ever sitting across the table from you. That's hospitality. Extended to strangers, not just to people that we know. But when we're too busy and we're too tired and we're too selective or too disinterested in others, it blocks our ability to be hospitable. But Christ's love is in us and Christ's love is working through us. And that's why we can be hospitable. This is a huge part of being a lifehouse. We've called you to be a lifehouse to love the eight neighbors in your most immediate context, but we'll talk more about that next week. Christ's radical love also helps us to bless our persecutors. This is an easy one. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Keep in mind, this book that we're reading from is called Romans. It was written to Christians in Rome. They probably knew a few things about persecution, don't you think? They lived in a pagan empire with a peculiar belief. They were heavily persecuted. And God is saying to them, bless your persecutors. And you can almost hear a little like sub, you know, say what? (laughs) How do we do that, Lord? Well, the basic premise here is just to do good to those who do you harm, who attack you specifically for your faith. This is where we really get an opportunity to imitate Jesus. You know the key to this? Know beforehand what you will do. This is kind of a principle you can apply in so many different ways in your life. The reason so many of us fail when we're presented with opportunities to practice these qualities of Christ's love is because we don't have the game plan going into the situation. We'll just play it by ear when we get into the situation. Well, you know what? The odds are stacked against us. So in this case, Lord... If and when I'm ever persecuted, I will bless the one who will persecute me. That's the game plan. Because left to myself in the moment, I'm not going to want to do that. I'm going to want to curse them. I want to say bad things about them. I want to see them in pain. I want bad things to happen to them because they hurt me. Jesus is saying, no, I want you to bless kind words, kind actions, prayer. And we let their lostness lead our hearts over their hatefulness. Love is stronger than hate. And it makes a huge impact when people see it demonstrated. I I, I hurt you with my words. I hurt you with my actions. I'm forgiven. God loves me, and he's called me to love and forgive you too. So I love you, and I forgive you. Dude, that will just ruin a person. They expect you to retaliate, which we'll get to in a minute. But that's Christ's love in us and through us. Christ's radical love helps us to rejoice and weep with others. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. This radical love of God now surging in our souls increases our empathy and sympathy for others. It sensitizes our hearts. And we learn about rejoicing and being happy for others who are celebrating without being jealous. And we learn how to have mercy and compassion and care for those who are hurting and mourning. 
Another reason to be in caring community. Another reason to be in something like a life group. It's so effective to help us to provide for the needed care. Learn how to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, this is the ministry of laughter and the ministry of tears. All of us are called to the ministry of laughter and tears. And there's just something so right about putting a big hug on somebody and smiling and laughing and celebrating with someone who's had a great thing happen in their life. And there's something so right about wrapping somebody up or praying for somebody who's hurting and entering into their pain and, and all of a sudden you go, why? I'm not the one hurting, but I hurt because they're hurting. You find yourself weeping over the pain that they have. No, we need each other. Life's got hardship. Life has celebration. How sad. How sad if there's anyone here that is lonely when there's something to celebrate and lonely when they're in pain. Can we, as a community, endeavor to not let that happen? Because God's love is in us. And God's love wants to work through us. Christ's radical love helps us to live in harmony with others. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Instead of living in conflict and division, we're to be people of harmony. And we know there's been much failure here in the body of Christ, whether it's inside the walls of our home, inside the walls of our church. We've not let the power of God's radical love purge us of issues that disrupt harmony. It's not because God's love is incapable of doing so. It's because we've not drawn on the power of his love to do so. Praise God, that can always change. Let's let the radical love of Christ forge unity in our hearts that we do not live as people who are agitators, that are adversarial, who let preferences divide us and cause tension, especially those issues that when placed against the glorious backdrop of the gospel are so tiny. Do you know that you can actually disagree with someone and still be in harmony with them? You can actually still be friends and disagree. I hope you guys all know that. It's possible. No, we need to be people who would draw the line on major foundational issues, but even then rely on God's wisdom and word and spirit and love to learn how to disagree, but still be people of harmony and unity. Totally possible because of God's love in us and through us. Christ's radical love also helps us to be humble. Verse 16, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This echoes from last week. And don't see yourselves as more highly than you should. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Don't be wise in your own eyes. This is God's love at work in us. It reduces our self-centeredness and our self-focus and our and personal ambitions and our favoritism and our elitism and it increases our humility. And it shows here that our humility will be seen manifested when we're willing to associate with people who are lowly. You know what that means? You see them as lower than yourself. And some of you are going, I really don't think of anybody lower than myself. I feel like I'm pretty, you know, neutral person. I see everybody the same. Well, here's the thing. Some of us might be thinking that, but here's some evaluators for us to check our hearts. If we only look to build relationships with those who are prestigious or make us comfortable or somehow directly benefit us in some way, then we're not probably humbly looking to associate with lowly people. Because whether it's conscious or subconscious, there's people who are less than that you're not engaging. And this will start to mess with your personal perspective and practice with people maybe who are poor or of a different ethnicity, or who are younger than you, or older than you, or have a disability, or a special need, or even a different faith. But the radical love of Christ working in us will work through us, and we'll find ourselves drawn. We're not talking about, uh, okay, I've got to hang out with a lowly person this week. You'll do. <laughs> kind of misses the spirit of it, doesn't it? 
It means we're drawn. We're drawn to someone who's less than in the eyes of the world and less of others, and we don't treat them that way because God's humbled us because of his love in us and through us. God's radical love helps us to be peaceable, not vengeful. Verses 17 through 19, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Let's be honest, this one's tough too. Because the law of the beast is you hurt me, I'll hurt you. The law of Christ is you can hurt me, I'm going to love you. It's so backwards, isn't it? It's so otherworldly. It's so supernatural. Is it possible? Only through Christ. This is where God's radical love in us really leads to radical living from us. We refuse to retaliate against those who wrong us. How can we show others that Jesus has made a difference in our life if we don't act different? Because when people hurt us, they know that we want to hurt them back. But when we don't, they're like, what's up with you? That's weird. It's my Jesus. His love working in me. His love working through me. And God's called us to be these peacemakers. And he acknowledges right here, there are some people that we can't have peace with. Why? Because they won't accept it. But that doesn't mean we don't try. We're called to initiate and try to make peace. If they don't want it, that's fine. We've done our part. As far as this is with you, be at peace with all men. But we're called to be peacemakers, not to be vindictive. We're to be reconcilers and restorers, not people who are vengeful, especially with those who don't know Christ. Maybe they've never experienced someone who's extended forgiveness and love, and you'll be the first one and it just blows their mind. Hey, look, our, our sense of justice is tainted. It's tainted by our sin. It's tainted by our egos. We do not have a perfect sense of justice, but God does. Only God has righteous, perfect justice. And what he says here, he says, you don't mess with them, they're mine. You don't need to worry about what they've done, they're mine. This passage here says that God knows you, and he says, I know they hurt you, I know they wronged you, I know you experienced an injustice, you don't worry about them, you leave them to me. And so when we take vengeance, we're basically saying, God, I've got this. God, I can do this. I don't need you. God, my justice is better than yours. And God's saying, don't you worry. I'll take care of it. And then we go, when? When are you going to take care of that, God? And um, can I be on the front row? Because I want to see it happen. I want to see it happen. He's saying, don't do that. When we choose not to take revenge, we're choosing to trust God. Because his love's in us. His love's working through us. He takes it a step further. Christ's radical love helps us to bless your enemy. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will reap burning coals on his head. And some of you are thinking, yeah, I'd like to reap some burning coals on your head. God's radical love takes it a step further. We don't just abstain from vengeance. We look for opportunities to bless. That's the love of Christ in us and through us. We're radical love. We're given tangible examples here. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. We can hear the words of Jesus as he's talked about the similar thing. 
Spoiler alert, saw the movie War Room, highly recommend it. It's good about prayer. There's a scene there where a guy who was mistreated changes the tire from a guy who mistreated him. Simple act. What was he doing? He was blessing his enemy. You know where this stems from? Forgiven people will forgive. Blessed people will bless. It's the love of Christ in us. It's the love of Christ through us. The results, coals put on their head. What does that mean? Well, there's a couple different interpretations. One, option A, is that through your kindness, through your love, through your care and your lack of retribution, somehow your enemy will be stirred by that and repent of that. Maybe even come to Christ because of that. Another interpretation is that God will take into consideration your kind actions, and if they don't repent, he will pour greater coals of heat on them at the judgment. And a lot of us might go, that sounds good, but really option A is probably the favored interpretation. It's just different. It's otherworldly. It's Christ's love in us. It's Christ's love through us. And then lastly, Christ's radical love helps us to overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here we come full circle. It's the bookends of the situation. It's the scripture here saying, hate evil, love good. Don't let evil overcome you, but overcome evil. And through the power of Christ at work in us and through us, we do see good triumph over evil because love is stronger than hate. And Christ is stronger than anything that's at work against us. We just need to act like we believe this. We just need to speak like we believe this. We just need to live like we believe this. This is the radical response to evil that can only happen through loving Christ and experiencing his love in you and through you. These list of 17 qualities, they're huge. They're huge. Which one do you work on first? Some of you are super ambitious. I got the whole list here. I'm getting ready to leave. I got the boxes checked. And I'm going to work on one you know, every day. I'll hit two or three a day. This is not the spirit of this. The spirit of this is not a list to check, but a transformation to live. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do something kind of unique. You're going to get something handed to you in a minute here. Just hold it. I'll explain to you what to do with it in a minute. But as you're, as you're passing that, just grab it and just continue to listen for a second. How do you pick which one maybe that God wants you to grow in? How do you focus on trying to continue in your transformation in Christ? Well, I'm hoping this will help you a bit. Because as you pass that out, there's a fortune cookie. We're going to convert it to a verse cookie today, all right? Now, the first thing you'll notice is on that cookie is a card. And it's a connection card for life groups. All these things we talked about, you can't practice them in isolation. You've got to get out into the world and expose yourselves to, to, to those who don't know Christ. You've got to get into community to learn how to give and receive the love of Christ. And so if you're in a life group, man, get ready for a great new semester and live these things out. If you're not, get into a life group. Learn how to live these things out. But some of you are thinking, okay, well, which one do I start with? Well, here's the deal. What if God were to use a fortune cookie to let you know? <laughs> if God were to give you a verse in your cookie? And so when I say go, I invite you to open your cookie, and inside each cookie, go. Look inside and see which verse, which of those qualities will be your focus for this week, all right? And once you find it, take a second, share it with the person next to you. You're welcome to eat the cookie. By the way, they were made here in Ohio. Yeah, they're like fresh.
The one I opened said, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. So that'll be my focus for this week. Now, as you open those, here's my invitation to you. As followers of Christ, just focus on this one. God will probably do the others through you as well, but just focus on this one. Let it be intentional and conscious this week. And I encourage you to be prayerful about it. Like for me, I drew that one that said, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. I can say, God, help me see where maybe I'm overlooking people. God, break me where there's pride, where there's disinterest. Put people in my life that maybe I've consciously or subconsciously thought are less than or I've been disinterested in. God, move me toward them. And so whatever yours is like, I ask that you be prayerful about that. Even here before we leave, would you, would you con- commit this effort to prayer? But again, not to check a box, but because you want this transformation to take place in you through the love of Christ that's in you and through the love of Christ that can work through you. And there might be some of you here or watching online and you're hearing about this God who loves you and this Jesus who loves you and this love that's available to you and you've never given your life to Christ. The invitation for you is come to Christ. Surrender your life. Believe and trust in his forgiveness of sins through the cross, through the resurrection, and give your life to him. If you do that, we're asking that you share that with us. If you're online, you can email us at connect at CVC online. Say, I'm giving my life to Christ. If you're here, you can pull that card out in front of you, that response card, and say, I'm, I'm giving my life to Christ today. I'm responding to his invitation to be used by him, to love him, to follow him. And we'll get in touch with you and tell you how you can grow. Let's pray. Lord, it's quite a list, Lord. <laughs> it's a little overwhelming. But at the same time, if we understand your love correctly, you've already put in us the ability to do this through the Holy Spirit and through your love. So God, we ask, we beg, we plead, Lord, let these qualities of your love in us work through us. God, help us to be a light in this dark world. Help us to love you and love good and to hate evil. God, help us to speak and act and live as we believe this. Do this transformation in our life, Lord God, please, we ask. God, take our lives as a gift for those who are going to give their lives to you for the first time, Lord. May they see that they're receiving your gift of eternal life, but they're offering their life as an offering back to you. God, we give these gifts we're about to receive to you, Lord God. Multiply them for the work of your kingdom. And Lord, take this one quality and etch it into our heart for this week. And let us find victory in it as we live it out, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, we all sit together.